Hey, this is John Legadakis of johnlegadakis.com and I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast. This podcast is a live recording of an interview I do each week with other internet marketers, personal development and business leaders where we talk about how we can better promote our products and services online, get more traffic and make more sales. I hope you get a lot out of today's recording. Hello and welcome to the podcast everyone, it's great to have you here, thank you so very much for joining us. I have a special guest with us today on the podcast, we have with us today, Michael Prywis. Thank you for joining us, Michael. Oh, it's such an honor to be here, thank you, John. Now, let me tell you a bit about Michael. So, Michael Prywis is a managing attorney of Prywis PC, a law firm in New York. He's also the author behind The Gasp, a step-by-step practical business guide for creative entrepreneurs as well as host of How I Broke Into, a show that takes deep dives into big breaks of highly successful artists and entrepreneurs. Michael also founded the Jewish Theatre Ensemble in Illinois, produced the theatrically released US comedy Returning Mickey Stern, and launched the world's first crowdsourced movie website, castourmovie.com. Got a lot of experience a lot of different areas so we're so fortunate to have you thank you michael for joining us and sharing some of your experiences with us that can help entrepreneurs out there people that are wanting to start up a business especially in the arts industry but any business but before we go into that michael please take some time to tell us about who michael prowess is so your upbringing influences what made you do what you do today Sure. I've got a really windy story, and I'll try to keep it short, but I I really was raised to be a very creative person. Um, My father, who's a physician, his hobby for the past almost 40 years is sculpture. My sister and I both were raised with a real creative background, Uh, but I also loved tech. My first computer was Texas Instruments 99-4A. I don't know if you're remember that, but it was uh, around 1980, 81, 82. They went out of business, but I, I learned how to code on this computer where back then you saved everything to uh, audio cassette. Mm, and, yes, and I you remember could, that. You connect, yeah, you connected your computer to a TV set or a monitor, and I taught myself how to code, and I'd make video games and and stories, and, and it was really cool. But so I had this, I guess you'd say a left-brained, right-brained kind of thing, and and I really uh, pursued both sides. I, I I ended up starting up a film and internet production company. I, I was fortunate to go to college right when the World Wide Web exploded in 1993. I was in college from 92 to 96, and I formed a production company. And when I formed this production company with my two partners, we wanted to do something very similar to the Blair Witch Project. I don't know if you remember uh, all the internet hype about the Blair Witch Project. And they had these mockumentaries and they had uh, interactive sites, but we wanted to do something like that. And what we did, and I built it myself, I taught myself new code for this. It was extraordinarily successful is called castourmovie.com. We invited the internet audience to choose four of our stars, the stars of our film. And it was a feature film and with uh, with celebrity actors. And it was amazing. And it, what ended up happening uh, is that the internet 
bubble burst in the year 2000, I think it was, but we still proceeded with making the movie. Getting involved in film production uh, exposed me to all different kinds of things, and including the complete legal side of things. And with the collapse of my second feature, I decided to go to law school at night while running the production company during the day. And in the meantime, I worked with ASCAP, which is a, a music performing rights society organization. It's called the PRO in, in the U.S., and they've got them all over the world. I also worked for an entertainment law firm, and, and I really got a better idea of the legal side of things. And ultimately, I worked for a digital distribution company called New Video Group, which uh, was is now part of Cinedyne, which is a publicly held company. I really got, you know, I got to be in on the ground floor. I was privy to the, the agreements with Netflix and Google and Apple. And so I really got another great sense of things, but I never and I never thought I'd end up becoming an attorney. I got recruited by my law school professor to be a trial attorney. And I ultimately, I did that for five years. I was doing trial law and I was very good at it, but it really was killing me. Um, and it's one of the lessons I learned is that just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should be spending all your time doing it if it's not what you're meant to be doing. So I ultimately, in my opinion, to save my life, I decided to uh, leave that law firm and start up my own law firm devoted to artists and entrepreneurs. And so I, I brought on a business partner and the two of us built up a firm. He's, he's since left the law, but uh, I've been doing this for the past couple of years now. And it's it's been amazing being able to advise people and see people come up with amazing ideas and turn them into reality. You've had success with business and you've not only with your own businesses, but also helping people and advising people. Can you give any advice to entrepreneurs out there, especially online entrepreneurs? Yes. First of all, I understand that need and desire to do it yourself. But there are certain things that you should not do alone, that you should not go alone. One of the places that I believe is, for obvious reasons, I believe is a good place to start is law. Because when you're dealing with an attorney, especially an attorney who is is well-versed in business and small business, but also in creativity, that attorney isn't just giving you legal advice or drawing up contracts. That attorney, if you're choosing the correct one, will be able to give you a lay of the land, an understanding of, of what obstacles you can expect to encounter. There's so much practicality when it comes to entrepreneurship that an attorney really has a, a better understanding than most other people. I always advocate for people I can only represent people in New York, so I'm not, I'm not on your show trying to get people to uh, hire me as an attorney unless they're in New York, of course. But I think every entrepreneur should be send, setting aside money, whatever they need to get started, for an attorney, an accountant, and insurance. Now, creative people don't like to hear that, but I believe that having that set aside so you can create a template for success really allows you to really 
play with your creativity and make that grow because it's really easy to I'll give you an example of a way you can actually save yourself money by hiring an attorney. I know a lot of it, uh, a lot of people come to me and they say, "Oh, I've got investors lined up." And that scares the living daylights out of me because there are rules related to investment. But if somebody has investment lined up, they usually also downloaded a contract off the internet. And that contract that contract does a number of things. One, it exposes them to a tremendous amount of liability. Two, it exposes them as people who were not willing to spend a few dollars to have it professionally drafted. And the other thing is, an attorney should be there to let you sleep well at night. <laughs> you know, let, let the attorney worry about the things that are missing from a contract or are missing from a negotiation. These are I think this is universal. It's always good to to be paying a little extra for somebody to hold you by the hand and make you feel a little more at ease. Yeah. Can you think of any example, Michael, where you know someone that's come to you too late, like they, they should have put this in place earlier, they haven't, they've come to you. So what is the impact of not having things set up properly? Can you, can you give us any specific examples? You don't have to mention specific names or companies. Of but, course. Yeah. Um, I'd like to say that I don't get retained by people who come to me too late because I, I make it very clear that I'm as eager to choose my clients as they are to choose me. In my opinion, my function is to be a mentor and resource, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book, was so I can create the guidebook I wish my clients had. But I don't consider myself to be a plumber where you're knee deep in the muck and now you need somebody to just plug the hole. Uh, that's not how I perceive myself. I know there are plenty of attorneys who do uh, feel very comfortable with that role. That being said, I'll give you an example of a, a, a well-established film and video producer who came to me he had been working off of, of something he pulled off the internet, and it was from an organization. Now, what he didn't realize is how onerous the contract that he downloaded was to the producer because it wasn't really drafted to protect producers. And so, and so he asked me to fix that contract, and I said, I really don't feel comfortable with doing that. I would like to draft a new one for you. But what I what I think will happen, and he said this did happen, I think it will actually make you more money. Because what I did is I integrated the options available to his clients into the contract. So for instance, in this case, it was video. And so he had different options within the contract. And this was not something he had thought about being possible within a contract. But in actuality, the contract itself became well marketing collateral because suddenly uh, suddenly you know clients were saying oh i didn't know you did this i didn't realize that was available to me uh, and and that's how much it costs and so one of the things that i recommend is whether you have a business plan or you have uh, marketing materials if you can integrate 
the more mundane elements of your business with the more creative elements of your business, I think you become a better salesperson. And so what, what I'm getting out of this, Michael, and it's just me personally, is that two things I'm getting from this. One is if you're going to go into a partnership or any type of negotiation, make sure you get professional help because yes. it's going to save you money in the long term and, and heartache. The second yes. point I'm getting is that when you choose that professional help, it's best to get someone that works specifically in that industry. So that example that you just mentioned, because of you've had experience in the industry, you could draft a contract that maybe like if they just went to any kind of attorney, they might not have considered the options that you were able to consider for your client. Yes, I think that's true, but I would I would actually warn a little bit against getting too narrow. And what I mean by that is, well, obviously attorneys, if they're doing a good job with their marketing, are tailoring their message to their potential clientele. In my case, I'm an attorney to artists and entrepreneurs. I don't call myself an entertainment attorney, although some people do. And I have a wide variety of clients. So for instance, I have jewelry designers. I've got chefs. All these different types of creative people have different needs, which an attorney can find out. But one thing I do know about me versus most other attorneys, and I'm proud of this, is that I think most other attorneys don't really understand the creative spirit. I'll give you an example. Every type of creative person will come to me and be worried about offending the person on the other side of a contract. Creative people in general uh, are the only people I know who don't think that they should have contracts. And what I, I have to say is that when you're drawing up a contract, with somebody, it's your show of respect. Why is your work, your hard work, any less valuable than, for instance, your mobile phone providers, where you, you'll eagerly sign the contract in order to get that? The reality is, is that you have to recognize that uh, as creative as you are, by creating mutual expectations on both sides, you are showing respect. And, and a lot of times with creative person, and this is true of entrepreneurs too, I'm a handshake kind of person I'll, I'll sometimes hear, and I don't want to hear that because, uh, because memories are short. And so, <laughs> yeah. and so I, I, would, I would actually say that uh, just as skill sets are transferable, I think uh, an entrepreneur seeking out guidance should be seeking somebody who understands people on a personal gut level just as much as somebody in a particular industry. Because somebody who says they serve a particular industry may have that experience, but they got that experience very often by narrowing their message in the first place. That doesn't necessarily show their level of competence or their ability to connect with you on a fundamental level. And I think uh, I think also what you're trying to say is that, or the way I'm getting it, is that attorneys can tend to be more right brain. Yes. Where, whereas creative people are more left brain and you've got a bit of both. So right brain, left brain, which helps out. Now, Michael, another thing that I know you could give us some good advice on 
to, to all those are listening is about copywriting, copyrights and, and, and trademarks. Yes. I mean, is that does that depend on what industry you're in? Is that something someone needs to worry about? And what are the costs involved in doing that kind of thing? Well, I can only speak to U.S. copyright. I, I really can only speak to U.S. trademark, although there's something known as the Madrid Protocol, which which creates a level of reciprocity among among the nations. But when it comes to copyright, people have to be very careful. I think people uh, play fast and loose with their understanding of copyright. And I know that, for instance, I know a number of people who have received what are known as cease and desist letters. Cease and desist letters have no effect in law in the United States, but they are scary to small businesses. The problem with some cease and desist letters is that they are accurate. For instance, copyright in the U.S. begins when with the creation of something original fixed in a tangible medium. So the minute you make something and you preserve it somehow, basically, if it's got any modicum of creativity, it has a copyright. Now, once it's registered... Uh, with the U.S. Copyright Office, somebody can go after an infringer for a lot of money. So what ends up happening with these cease and desist letters is you get somebody who does an image search and finds one of their photographs. And there are companies that just send out these cease and desist letters and demand thousands of dollars. And usually they settle for a couple hundred dollars. But the fact is, is that for willful infringement, you can have a verdict against you, a judgment against you for up to $150,000 per instance in the U.S. for copyright infringement. And in fact, uh, one woman who uh, donated her photography to the Library of Congress in the U.S., uh, sued Getty Images for, I believe, a billion dollars because they were using her images and they were shaking down other users of her images. Right. And so, right, so she added up all the instances in which there was willful infringement and, and she came to a billion dollars. Now, I mean, it gets a little ridiculous, but this is the kind of thing that people have to be wary about. I think a lot of people worry too little and they come to the conclusion that, oh, I'm protected by fair use. And fair use is a very tricky thing and it's a very case-by-case thing and it's certainly not settled in the U.S. Now, when it comes to trademarks, trademarks are a, a different animal altogether. Trademarks involve logos and colors and and uh, sometimes words. what is it? Trade, yeah, words. Trade uh, trade dress. So, for instance, at TGI Fridays, the pattern on the tablecloth that's protected. That's used in commerce, and unlike copyright, you can have something such as one word or two word trademark. The measurement that what we worry about when we're talking about trademark infringement is whether one trademark is confusingly similar to another trademark in the same category or class, as we call it. So, for instance, if you have Dove chocolate, you know, and a Dove chocolate ice cream bar and you have Dove soap, they're not infringing on each other because 
they're not confusingly similar, and they're not in the same class. Right. But again, with a, I think people have to be very careful when using other people's photography and using other people's trademarks. And it's not necessarily just a slap on the wrist. Thinking about this from the beginning and recognizing that if you're create if you're a content creator, you should be protecting yourself as well and should be exploring obviously in copyright, but also potentially in trademark as well. It's 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 something that every creative and every entrepreneur frankly should think about for what i'm understanding michael as soon as i create something whether it's a digital product or it's a physical product automatically it has copyright if it's a, something it, i've created myself that's unique but if yes. if i register it i can then pursue legal action for anyone that's infringing upon my copyright yes and include including attorney's fees right do you have any examples you can share with us, the clients that either way they were being prosecuted or they, they wanted to pursue someone that was infringing upon them? Yes. First of all, what I mentioned about the photography, I've had uh, multiple friends, colleagues, and clients get these cease and desist letters. The scary thing is it's almost always for something from years ago that isn't even being used anymore because once you've infringed, you've infringed. Now, uh, very often a good response is to either settle for, you know, for a small amount of money or to retain an attorney to, uh, to respond. Because like I said, it has no effect in law until the lawsuit begins. People do not want to get into lawsuits. I, I was a trial attorney and most acts of litigation do not go all the way to, to trial. But that being said, it, it's costly of emotion and time and energy and money. That would be one example. I also have had interesting situations where there, where opinions need to be given whether something is protected by copyright or trademark in the first place. Sometimes it's not so easy to tell. Uh, for instance, if you're dealing with jewelry design, the copyright office in the U.S. is not so friendly towards the notion of original jewelry designs. Even the USPTO, which is the United States Patent and Trademark Office, it may not be so easy to secure a trademark for a design unless a work of jewelry let's say is famous for that particular design. But it, it's also not particularly settled law and uh, and attorneys of, of course get nervous when law is not settled on something you mentioned images before so it sounds like would you agree with me from the impression i'm getting is that a lot of the copywriting infringements and, and lawsuits that might be happening is, is related to images would that be accurate maybe not most well, but a lot i would say images uh, are a big part of it i mean music is a huge part of it although one of the things that's really remarkable about music, even more than images, is the ability of a certain software to identify music. There's something known as Content Key, which uh, which YouTube uses, and there is there's a famous lawsuit that was settled that was decided recently uh, called Lens v Universal, and it involved a song by Prince 
and a woman shot a video of her baby dancing to the song. So this also involved the questions of fair use, but ultimately they found against Universal because Universal had sent a takedown notice to, actually, I think it was YouTube, but I'm not sure, but they had sent a takedown notice without ascertaining whether there might have been fair use in the first place. So it, it can be images, it can be music, sometimes it can be words. For instance, a Broadway show recently uh, was sued by the estate of Abbott and Costello for use of the Who's On First comedy routine. It was the show Hand of God on Broadway, and they used it verbatim, and Hand of God won, astonishingly, in my opinion, because the court found that it was considered fair use for being transformative. They took something already established and turned it into something new. This approach to determining whether something is transformative is really a hot thing in intellectual property and copyright cases lately. For a lot of business owners out there listening, we use a lot of images mainly. Sometimes we'll use music as well, but I know I use a lot of images, like whether it's on my website, marketing material, and so forth. To be on the safe side, mm. what should we be doing to, to make sure we're not going to be getting letters either tomorrow or in 10 years from now? Or is there a limit to the time? when you can get infringement? You know, that's a good question. It's a very long time. I can't give you the exact statute. One of the reasons is because we see situations where uh, where copyright seems to be extended. Uh, I'll give you an example. You had a case against Led Zeppelin recently, and that was for a number of reasons, including finding new copyright in what is known as a derivative work. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on waiting out the statute of limitations for copyright. What I would recommend is if ever you're going to use any sort of content, know where it came from and speak to an attorney if you can. But if you can't, then go to a reputable licensing source of images. For instance, I used to use something called Dollar Photo Club for all my images, if I didn't take the images myself. And it was, it was an enormous stock photography site, and they were bought by Adobe. So now I use Adobe. One of the things I, I urge clients and also contractors of clients to employ is there are two licenses very often or multiple licenses there could be a standard license which gives you royalty free use for a certain number of uses but then after that you may need to pay an additional license or the extended license very often is all encapsulating so you can use it use it in every different type of commerce or book covers or apparel you know things where you're making commercial use of somebody else's images, you want to be as fully protected as possible. So I think it's important to not just read the fine print, but if you can have somebody who is really knowledgeable in this area, you should do so. Mm, Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Michael. Now, Michael, is there any other advice or any final thoughts you had for our listeners? And I want to say... Before you give that, I just want to say thanks so much for everything you shared so far. It's very, very valuable. Oh, thank you. First of all, I would love for people to check out my book. It's coming out soon. It's called 
the gasp, how to seize that aha moment and turn it into a winning business. And it goes from the ideation phase, you know, right in the beginning when you're trying to come up with the perfect idea for a business, uh, all the way through scaling up and hiring employees or uh, contractors and drawing up contracts and things like that. And then, of course, integrating that into your life. I know that you like to talk about personal development, but finding that work-life balance, I think, is an important element of the book. So you can go to graspthegasp.com to purchase the book when it comes out and to also download a sample chapter. And we will be uh, offering a free audio book with that. But in addition, I would emphasize that anybody creating an entrepreneurial endeavor, first of all, has to understand that there is a substantial amount of risk involved and there will it's not up and down up and down to or it's and it's not a steady trajectory you're going side to side up and down every which way and it takes a while but one of the things i always recommend is figure out what you value most and then integrate your values and your priorities so your values and your priorities align and the goals you create are also aligned with your values and priorities. And when you do that and you make your business all about that, inevitably all your failures will still be successes because they will help you towards that goal of aligning your values and your priorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Michael. So again, Michael, that website to get to find out more about the book or get a copy of the book, was graspthegasp.com, is that correct? Yes, G-R-A-S-P-T-H-E-G-A-S-P.com, graspthegasp.com. You can always reach me, you can email me at MP, M is in Michael, P is in Peter, at NewYorkStartupAttorneys.com. Fantastic. Thanks again uh, so much, Michael, for being with us today on the podcast. And I want to thank everyone as well for listening to the podcast today. Thanks so much, John. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you got a lot out of it. As a way of saying thank you for being a loyal listener, I've got a very special gift for you. You can get immediate access to my online business coaching program for free. These step-by-step videos will show you how to set up your website create an automated sales funnel and also how to drive targeted traffic to your business for literally pennies per click. It's ready for you to access right now. Simply head on over to johnslikes.com forward slash podcast. This is John Ogadaka signing off. I'll see you all next time.